We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, listeners, Hornets fans? This is BuzzBeat Podcast, episode 95. Uh, just a reminder, we are a member of the Blue Wire Network, and you can visit their website, bluewirepods.com, for more information. Uh, on today's episode, episode 95, we're probably going to jump around a lot. In the first half of the episode, we're just going to talk big picture stuff. Um, and then towards the second half of the episode, we're going to talk about college basketball and some prospects to look out for. Uh, because the NCAA tournament is uh, tipping off Thursday and Friday. Well, I guess earlier than that if you count those playing games, but I don't really count them until Thursday. But let's check in on the co-host, uh, Brian. You were here in uh, Charlotte this last week for the ACC tournament. How'd that, how'd that go with that busy schedule with the ACC sports and uh, Sports Channel 8 as well? It, it was really fun. The, the week flew by. You know, It felt like it went from Monday morning to Sunday morning. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in a blink of an eye. So I, I had a great time. It was busy, but I got to do some new stuff this year. Like we did Sports Channel 8, did remote shows. Uh, we did our normal Saturday morning radio show, but we did a pregame show for the championship game on Saturday at the uh, the Ale House there in, in, in Uptown by the arena, which was neat. We did some postgame Periscope shows, sort of like a, like a buzzcast, if yeah. you will, after, after – uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday games, which was neat, and we also I wrote a lot for ACC Sports. Saw some, saw a fair amount of draft prospects and some ones that we'll talk later in the episode, and and also got a call, not call, but got to do some color commentary for a couple of the early week games on the radio broadcast, and that was really really neat. I really enjoyed it, and I'm, I hope to get to do it again. To be honest with you, and well, the three of us got to hang out too at uh, at our, our little meetup for the the Houston yep. Charlotte game, which feels like it was a month ago, <laughs> not 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 a week ago, but not a good time. Tournament was fun. Um, would have liked to have seen Virginia make the final for for a three peat for for like another you know, part of three with Duke and Virginia, but um, ended up still being. I think feel it feels like the right team won. And, uh, yeah, I'm ready for uh, the actual NCAA tournament to get going here now, too. Exactly, exactly. Spencer, are you getting a little bit nervous for the NCAA tournament? Gardner-Webb, are they scaring your uh, Virginia team at all? I mean, if you're a Virginia Hoops fan, what doesn't scare you at this point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, after that Florida State game, uh, very clearly UVA was exposed. And it looks like Gardner-Webb, I mean, of the 16 seeds, I think they're pretty easily the strongest. Not that that should mean much because you should be the 16 seed. But, uh, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see with the Who's. I mean, you know, like, I can't remember who said it last night. Maybe it was um, one of the ESPN college basketball talking heads just saying, like, you know, Virginia of these top-tier teams clearly probably have the least amount of talent, but they're the most accomplished team probably, which I think is a, a pretty good way to put it. So, Look, like at this point, you can't really be embarrassed anymore than you already have been if you're UVA hoops. <laughs> and and so, like thinking about it that way, hopefully they can just go out there and play. They're a really good basketball team that's capable of winning the national championship. Yeah. And it's just a matter of where their mentality is. But uh, but look, I, I got to see Thursday at the ACC tournament and Friday, and Virginia really didn't look. They looked good for one of four halves. Um, so. You know, competition in NC State, Florida State, uh, not great. Uh, I think well, actually I was really impressed with Florida State, but I mean, you just look at kind of where Virginia is right now as a team. I would be a little bit worried. 
Alright guys, we're going to uh, jump right into this episode and we're kind of texting about this prior to the, the recording. It's just like, at this point, we're probably not going to do so much of the game recaps, but getting into the big picture stuff as this season winds down. As the season has gone along, like two things have happened. First off, the Hornets have kind of played themselves out of playoff. The pitcher, I'm sure 538 gives them probably a pretty low chance of making the playoffs at this point. 15. 15%. 15%. 15%. Yeah. Yeah, and all 15 uh, because of Kimba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then secondly, it just seems like it's the same game over and over again. So in, ter- in terms of breaking down the games, I, th- I think we're pretty much done with that for the season. Um, unless something dramatic happens between now and then, it's going to be all big picture stuff heading down towards the uh, the end of this season. So I kind of want to open this up with a Twitter question to start the, uh, the, start the show. And I think this will be a good jumping off point to kind of talk about the Hornets season as a whole. It's from Radford333 on Twitter. Do you all think Borrego is a decent coach? The 2-3 zone seems to perplex him and these weird rotations. I'm getting where I don't think he's the right guy. I guess I'll just kind of open it up to uh, you, Brian, if you want to start this off. Do you think that Borrego is the right coach? Have we seen enough of him to make a decision one way or the other? Or is there a lot uh, that you dislike about this guy that you kind of want to move on from him? Well, first off, there's there's definitely not that I there's not a lot that I dislike. I, I think for the most part, I, I've been uh, I've I've liked most of what I've seen out of James Borrego. I think some of the the tinkering with the rotation, especially late in the season, has been a little a little perplexing. I can kind of see where he's where he's trying to go with it based off where he's coming from with San Antonio, where you've got a lot of mix and matching and, and he's just desperate to try to get anything productive on the court. That's useful and sustainable just so, cause he's, you know, he's been mandated, Hey, make the, we got to make the playoffs this year. So I think he's been put in a tough spot because the team doesn't have a ton of talent, obviously outside of Kemba. Um, they're not very deep. So when guys have been hurt, and we've seen Cody Zeller out the last couple of games, but when Tony Parker has been out or needed a night off or whatever, they've really struggled. And same when Marvin's missed a few games here or there as well, too. You know, the if you want to, I guess if there's some stuff you want to maybe get on, else you want to get on Brego for, like I know he and his staff were sort of hailed as guys that could develop players, but at this point now, you know, Willie Aaron and Gomez, he doesn't play. Malik Monk barely plays and his confidence is shot like we talked about on the last episode uh miles bridges plays but you know he rarely you know he takes two or three shots doesn't the last couple of games he hadn't even gotten to the yeah. free throw line um i mean Dwayne bacon has been you know in greensboro for a lot of the season and i guess we're seeing some of them now but it just i have seen little in terms of the of player development but for the most part no i like i, I like i like jb i like that he wants to play small um, I like that he is flexible. I like that he's willing to try new stuff. I think that he has, for the most part, been maybe not with Malik Monk so much, but I, I think for the most part, he's tried to empower his players, you know, and I think he's doing the most with what he's got. I just, it's hard to think of a coach that could get a lot more out of this team, right? It, this is what Steve Clifford's a really good coach, and they were basically doing the same thing the last two seasons with him. With largely the same roster, too. And I think he's tried some decent stuff. I mean, say what you will, but he's found a role for Batum. Yeah. Better, you know, good or good or bad. He's found a role for Michael Kidd Gilchrist. He's found I think Cody Zeller's had a nice season when he when he can play, actually. Marvin's the same. So overall, I, I think I think Borrego is is done he's done an okay job. You know, if you wanted to put a letter grade to it. C plus, B minus, right. you know, whatever. It's only been, a, it hasn't even been a full season, so I'm, I'm, I would like to give him a little bit more time too. I get the frustrations with the zone, but the, the, the bottom line is like it takes away the pick and roll that they yeah. want to run with Kemba and Cody, and it makes that really tough to get to. And you saw yesterday against Miami, only 30% of their field goal attempts at the rim. But like that's the thing that they struggle with with Zeller's just out in general. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they have trouble getting north south. And, um, yeah, I just think the lack of a secondary option, lack of depth, has done them in. And you know, outside of Brad Stevens, I don't know who you could have brought in that would have gotten significantly more out of this roster than James Borrego did. 
the bottom line is we do have to give him time. Like you said, it's not even been a full season yet. It's not like I'm like ecstatic about the hire. Like you know, he's been doing great stuff with his team. But again, the same token, I'm not panicking or freaking out. Um, I'm not yeah. sure exactly how long his contract is. I think we talked about this. Maybe three more years after this, possibly. But anyway, yeah, I, mean, I think there are some things to like about this guy. Uh, I think he's very creative with his after-timeout sets. He's very creative on the offensive side. Um, I do like some of the sets that he runs. It's very Spurs-ish. You see a whole lot more movement uh, out of this offensive team than you did last year with Clifford. And you're right. The, the zone takes away the bread and butter of the Hornets, the pick and roll. It kind of uh, you know stifles that. But you would think that Borrego would have some kind of zone offense in place other than just kind of passing the ball around the perimeter. Um, I think, yeah. you know, we all know how to beat a zone is, is get the ball in the middle of the zone and then kick it out. But it seems like the Hornets just pass it around the perimeter. Um, so I, I do think we need to give them time. I guess, Brian, you kind of brought this up. It's, it's conflicting. I think the front office wants to win. I think MJ wants to win. But Borrego was brought in to develop players and young players, that is. And it seems like, especially as of late, you saw you see these young players that are just sitting on the bench. They're not playing. So I think Borrego himself is conflicted. That's why he's thrown out so many of these lineups to try to get something to stick. And regardless if you're young, old, he just needs someone to produce to make the playoffs. And clearly it's not going to work out. And I think at this point you just play the young guys moving forward. But I'm not sure MJ is going to allow that. So, Spencer, what are, what are your thoughts on Borrego so far as, as a Hornets coach? I don't have a whole lot to add from what you guys have already said. Um, you know, the, my main point of contention with him has got to be the inconsist- inconsistencies uh, with his rotations. Um, you know, I, I really just wish that the Hornets would have, that he would have stuck with Malik Monk with consistent minutes. I mean, that's really what, what really just gets me down, I think, is a, is a real bummer. that I think we're looking at yet another wasted season for Malik Monk. I mean, mm-hmm. we're... It's panic time for Monk. There's no more, like, I wonder who can develop him. I mean, it is officially, like, will the Hornets draft a shooting guard this summer? I mean, seriously, (laughs) I think we're there. I mean, I think they should think about it. Um, Whose fault is that? You know, I don't know. Um, They hired Borrego, and you heard all this chatter about, you know, one of the main – from his mouth, one of the main things he was being tasked with was bringing along Malik Monk and and, and making him the best NBA player he can be. And, And look, like, I understand he's still young, but we're halfway through the season. He's getting consistent minutes, and they're allowing him to play through his mistakes. And all of a sudden, everything he's just he's buried on the bench again. That I don't think I'll ever get over with Borrego's rookie season. I think that was a mistake um, to, to chase where we are now as a record. It just it doesn't add up. And I don't know, I don't know who you thought was going to be worth so many more wins over Monk. And, and trust me, I have plenty of problems with his own court. Right. Uh, fallacies, if you will. But, uh, you know, seeing Bacon this late in the season, seeing Frank kind of come out of nowhere this late in the season. And, you know, like you guys mentioned, that a lot of that has to do with injuries. But, you know, I, I'm disappointed in James Borrego from from a rotation standpoint. It's cool that he's willing to be creative. And I actually am I'm really high on him as a coach from an X's and O's standpoint. Yes. Um, you know, and, and being willing to go small and being willing to try different defenses you know, and I think Brian may have said something to this speed, but that, you know, those creative ways of coaching and thinking about the game, I think, make you a good coach. But, you know, the Hornets are just, they don't have the, they don't have the talent to pull that stuff off. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when you're constantly playing with the rotations. Um I just think he's trying to accomplish too much at once. And and, and so maybe that's not Borrego's fault, right? He's, he's hired to do, to develop young players and also make the playoffs at the same time. Like, good luck. No coach is going to be able yeah. to pull that off yeah. in this league when you, when you constantly live in the middle. So I don't hold that against him, but you know, I just, it, it's the, it, it's the question we keep coming back to with the Hornets is, you know, who's going to put their foot down and say, this is what we're doing. This is the direction we're going. This is how I'm going to coach. This is how I'm going to GM. Like whatever. I mean, at least Steve Clifford, you know, did that to an extent. Um, and so with Borrego, it's just for me. I wish he would have been more consistent with his his lineups. And if we're going to be 31 and 38 or whatever we are right now, I'd much rather be that with Malik Monk having, you know, 250 more minutes exactly. under his belt than he does right now. Agreed. Exactly. Agreed. 
the, the next couple of months are going to have a pretty significant impact on what the slope of his development curve looks like. And I think that is a concern and in a worry to sort of put not quite all your eggs in one basket, but yeah, like it, it's, it, it, I don't know. It, it's a concern. It's a concern that he is. He feels like largely the same player he was a year ago, but he's just a year older and doesn't seem to be trending in the right direction. And I'm with I'm with Spencer. I, I wish he had. I wish he had continued to get uh, consistent minutes, especially since that seemed to be a snag um, with some with some of these trade possibilities. You know, six weeks ago or whatever too. So I uh, it. That is disappointing, and it is a worry with Malik Monk because this team can't really afford to just have another first-round pick just sort of wash out. Do you do you guys see any benefit in sending him down to Greensboro at this point? Does that just hurt his confidence more? No, I, I don't. I really don't see any benefit. I, I think the proof's a little bit in the pudding with that experiment last year. We don't need Malik Monk going down to Greensboro and taking you know twenty threes a night. I mean, that's just not. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, I'm not even trying to be funny anymore. Like, it, that is not helping him grow as a player in the NBA. His learning curve is so it's so steep at this point. Um, you know, I used to say, especially on the defensive end, but now just on both ends, the way he thinks the game is, is so elementary and remedial uh, for a guy that's in the second year of his – and is as talented as Malik is. Right. In the second, in the second year of his NBA career – that he needs as many minutes to just f up in NBA games as he can po- against NBA athletes. Totally, as he as he possibly can get. That, that's just that's the only way he's going to get better now. Yeah, I, I I got it last year with just trying to get him reps with his shot. Um, but th- this is it's more than that now. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it, if he's even if he gets to the point where he's making you know thirty eight percent from behind the arc, he's still not playable because he can't think his way through anything defensively and offensively when he gets the ball going downhill he can't make a good decision he can't read the defense where it's coming from and consistently make a good pass um without leaving his feet and then turning you know he, he's just ah, man i i i think about malik a lot and why i liked him at kentucky and i did not see this coming at all it it, it really has surprised me how much he struggled mentally in the NBA. I, I yeah. just thought at Kentucky and the way they used him, and he was a pretty simple, you know, either catch and shoot it, one dribble to the rim, two dribbles, and a, and a dump-off pass. It just seemed like his game fit in the NBA. And we have seen a totally different player um, since he's been in Charlotte. And, again, I, I don't know whose fault that is. I really don't. And, and I see both sides to it because I think I was posed this question on Twitter about whether or not Malik should be sent down to Greensboro. Well, first off, I think from a standpoint of an on-court basketball standpoint, you know Malik's biggest pr- uh, problem on offense, at least in my eyes, is a shot selection. And I think going down to Greensboro would not solve that. Uh, it actually would probably make it worse, uh, inflate those stats a little bit, and he would sh- shoot a ton of shots, like you said, Spencer, like he did last season. Uh, but I can also see the other side to it where he does need reps, albeit in a lower league, uh, that could maybe get his confidence to rise up a little bit. We, we've seen that with uh, Graham and Bacon this season. Like Bacon has completely been a bigger factor than Malik Monk, especially as of late. And I'm sure some people might attribute that to him playing down in Greensboro. But I'm always of the notion that you're going to learn a whole lot more uh, by playing on the court than sitting on the bench. So my thing is if you're, if you're sitting on the bench and you're a young player, you either send him down to Greensboro or you put him on the court and you play him consistent minutes. You don't you don't play him for five games straight and then sit him for five games straight. That's just not going to help him. And so I, I definitely see both sides to the coin on this in terms of whether or not he needs to be in Greensboro or Charlotte. We saw at the end of last season, he sort of, he got some minutes at the end there for Clifford. And it, I thought he closed the season out pretty well the last two or three weeks, which I suppose was partly why, at least I was, I won't speak for anyone else, but why I perhaps misguidedly was was sort of high on him going into the off season and going into Vegas summer league and then coming around for 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 year two, I, regardless of how that went, it's time to play these guys. You know, I it, it's unfortunate you got that the Hornets have put themselves in this situation once again where they got a fifteen to twenty percent chance to make in the playoffs. Basketball Reference has them at eighteen percent playoffs. 538 has them, like I said earlier, 15. And these odds go these 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 odds go down 
every week. Like we do this, we do, we record every week and they go down a little bit more and more <laughs> every week. They were pretty good at the trade deadline in early February and they've just cratered since then. And looking at this elsewhere too, like Hornets, 78% chance of the 11th pick, 13% chance of the 12th pick. This is where they are right now. 2% chance of the number one pick, 9% chance of a top four pick. And they Jeez. really don't. They don't really have Spencer talked about this on the last episode. Like it, it's, and we've mentioned it before too. Like it's too late to tank, you know, like it, like, sorry, you, you missed your window on that. Like there's, there are seven or eight teams that you're just, you're not going to be able to like dramatically increase, you know, really like get ahead of them. I say that in air quotes because they're, they're just, there's so many games behind the Hornets. It's too late. Um, I hate to say it, but some of these recent wins over the wizards, they were sort of counterproductive. Yeah. I'll I'll be totally honest with you. And the Hornets need the Lakers to win. And that was not a good loss for the in terms of you know lottery odds and stuff. That wasn't a good loss for the uh, the Hornets with the Lakers losing to the the, the Knicks on um, uh, or part of the Lakers losing to the Knicks on Sunday. But uh, if if you're gonna get anything out of this stretch run here, you gotta try, you gotta play these guys. Like I, I I'm I'm sorry. Like I, I don't. It's a tough needle to thread here, but they've got to figure out a way to get more reps for Graham, for Bacon, for Monk, for Bridges. Like it, this season is basically over, and it stinks that they backed yeah. themselves into this point <clears throat> once again, where you have basically no shot at getting a, a an obvious game changer at the top of the draft, and you got no real shot. I mean, they've just once again have backed themselves into this. We're win 35, 36 games and be in no man's land as a franchise. So yeah, if they're gonna if they were to somehow try to get anything out of this the rest of this back half of the season, it would be I think really seriously, guys. I, I hate to say it, but like I think it's time to to shut it down and to play the young guys as much as possible. And if you can, you can maybe improve your odds of getting you know a couple notches further down. Whether that's going to dramatically improve the type of player you can get from nine to to eleven or whatever, it probably doesn't. To be totally honest with you, but they they just got it like that's what they've got to do. I, I hate I think the writing is on the wall. Yeah, and, and then I, this is a whole like I don't, I don't want to go down this thing right now because I know we got a lot to get to here. But it's just so obvious like they they should like they should have traded Kemba last year like they like they they yeah. should have done that. It was it was obvious then, and it's too late now. And now and like the their back is against the wall. They put themselves in the spot and. They got they got to do some they got to ask themselves some hard questions now, man. And yeah. um, and I really right now for the rest of this season, I, I don't totally know what exactly you should do. I don't think there's an obvious choice. All right, guys. On the other side of this break, we're gonna get into some prospect talk as the NCAA tournament tips off this week. And Brian and Spencer, did you know the first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year? Whether you like filling out a bracket picking a national champion, predicting first-round upsets, or all the above. My bookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with the title? Can a 16 seed upset a 1 seed? I feel like that's, that's happened before. Uh, and can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, my bookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is, they pay out fast. I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. With MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, this segues right into our prospect talk. Uh, if you want to have an edge in your bracket, or if you want to have an edge in my bookie, listen out for Brian and Spencer as they're going to give you guys some names to look for uh, as the tournament kicks off this weekend. Uh, and some of these names actually might end up in Charlotte. They might be in that range uh, for Charlotte, wherever they end up. So I'm going to, you know, let's start with Brian first. Give me uh, one or two names who you want to look out for uh, as the tournament kicks off, and then also maybe just kind of profile these players in terms of their pros and their cons. 
Yeah, so I'll I'll go over two guys that I've I'll throw out two names here, and these are two guys that I've watched a lot this season, and including saw them both a few times down in Charlotte. But I saw, but it's Kobe White from North Carolina and Nikhil Alexander Walker from Virginia Tech, who I saw probably eighty. 90% of the minutes these dudes played this year um, and, and really like both of them a lot for, uh, for different re- really for different reasons. Um, and I think they could both be in the Hornets range. I mean, I think they're, I think after Zion at the top, this, this draft becomes a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, you sort of know who's going to make up the top five after that. Um, but yeah, I could see both of these guys being in that Hornets eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 range. And let's start first with Alexander Walker. So I liked Alexander Walker his freshman year. He's a sophomore. I liked him his freshman year in 2017, 2018 at Virginia Tech. But he was, in my head, I just didn't really see of him as a, as a prospect. Certainly nothing beyond a 3 and D guy. He really was just a spot-up shooter and a wing defender for Virginia Tech. And he turned a, a nice corner this year for them. And even before the injury to Justin Robinson, Tech's senior point guard, Walker early in the season was showing pretty pretty serious growth as a as a pick and roll passer and point guard. Um, this is a guy that can make pretty high level reads, looking opposite weak side corner, looking for guys on the roll. He's got the ability to pass with both hands, which I like a lot too, and he still has maintained a good spot-up player. He shot 40% on catch-and-shoot threes this year. Um, I like that he can... I don't think this guy is like an A1 primary creator in the NBA, but I like him as a secondary playmaker. He's a good defender that can guard a couple positions. Basically, like, I think... I don't think this guy... It's sort of like the Miles Bridges thing from a year ago where, like, I don't think this guy's necessarily a star, but I think he can come in and help a team win from day one. Like, I think, I think he's that type of player. Uh, I like his pedigree. I like that. He can defend a couple different positions. His cousins with not like this has anything to do with it. It's sort of just like a fun factoid, but cousins with Shea Gilgis Alexander for uh, the point guard, rookie guard for the Clippers who the Hornets looked at a year ago. But yeah, his numbers are great. Like 24% assist rate. That's good. Gets a lot of steals, 3.4% steal rate, which is a big number. 77% 77% from the free throw line, 38% um, from deep. Like I said, 40% on catch and shoot threes this season. High usage player, 27%. He struggled in some games, like the the game uh, against Florida State to close out the regular season that was basically for the fourth seed in the ACC. Yeah, he struggled with, with some pretty serious on-ball pressure, but there's some games where he was just sensational passing out of the pick and roll. The ACC tournament opener against Miami – he carved him up, and I think he's got the ability to function as a nice secondary creator in the NBA and a guy that you can trust defensively, trust that he won't hurt your spacing, and that he has a little bit of an upside. I don't think he's he's not an, an elite finisher at the rim, but he's okay, and he can, again, still use that left hand of his around the basket too. And, yeah, I think he'd be – I think this guy makes sense in the NBA with where it's going – and I think you can basically place him in on any roster, and he has the ability to help, albeit with a lower ceiling than someone like maybe Kobe White. Yeah, can I chime in real quick? And you know, Spencer, you can add to NAW if you'd like. But you mentioned uh, exact. I mean, I haven't really watched this guy, so I can't really say too much about his game. But you mentioned him being someone that might be a high floor, low ceiling type of player. Do you think the Hornets, like when they're looking for their draft prospects, it feels like they're kind of always going that route, like just a solid player that's coming in that's going to quote unquote produce right away. Do you think they need to go for someone that has a little bit more of a boomer bust potential? Like, do you guys think that that's the way that they should go or it just depends on who's there? I never liked that term very much, boomer bust. Um, I think you just draft the best player, right? Like you do your, if you do your homework and you scout the right way and you invest in that, um, at a high level, which I don't think any of us have a very confident feel that Charlotte has done traditionally. Um, I think you draft the best player. And well, I'll say what I'm going to say about one of my guys, because I think that it, I think that kind of the question you're asking, Richie comes up in, in one of the guys I'm going to talk about, but I think you, you draft who you think the best player is. Charlotte should not have any confidence in the fact that they draft a boomer bust player. They're going to develop him. So I, I don't, I don't love that strategy for this team. Gotcha. Yeah, my, my only thought would be, 
that a it's harder to go for the star when you're drafting at like 10 or 11 right like the, they're, they're just those types of players usually aren't there it feels like that's sort of what they did with Malik Monk in 2017 and that as we sort of just discussed didn't work out so well for them or has yet to work out for them and and yeah I still think it's okay like I'm, I'm always in on just take the best player available um perhaps now considering where they are maybe they need to they would maybe need to take a little bit more of a risk drafting to hope that they could strike gold on someone with some upside as opposed to just finding like another fourth fifth or sixth player but um but yeah now you go bpa and just go from there that 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 is that is sort of been my working assumption every year now for a while on the draft with the Hornets. Um, it's not really worked out yet, but you know, the jury's still, jury's still out on miles bridges. So we'll see, we'll see how that sure. goes. Oh, where, where can we find Alexander Walker on Thursday or Friday? Do you know right now? When Virginia yeah, Tech plays? Yeah, yeah, I got, yeah, I got you. So you can find Akil Alexander Walker playing uh, Friday in the, one of the late games. It might be the last game of the night, actually. Uh, Virginia Tech is the number four seed in the East region. Uh, they were taking on St. Louis, the Billikens. Uh, do you guys know what a Billiken is by any chance? Uh, yeah, I, I probably should. I worked for a school in the A-10, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it is some sort of like a good luck statue. Um, Elf? The, 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 the mascot is very creepy looking, yeah. but that, that game gets <laughs> off on True TV, so you can look, you know, find True TV on your, your channel guide or whatever your streaming options are 957 out in San Jose, California. You can find Virginia tech who just got good news back yesterday. Justin Robinson, their senior point guard is going to be, is going to be back healthy. He's missed the last like six weeks for them. So we'll see Alexander Walker and maybe a little bit more of a secondary role um, going yeah. forward here for the Hokies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, real quick on Alexander Walker. I, I was very impressed uh, Thursday at the ACC tournament with him. BG. I, I didn't, you know, I'd seen him play in the pick and roll, obviously more on TV recently since they were without Justin Robertson, um, Robinson. But I, until you see it in person and you kind of are able to see the whole floor and watch him make those reads, he made a few of those corner passes that you were talking about out of the pick and roll opposite. And yeah, that, you're right. He can use both hands. He flipped one across the court with his left hand once. Laser. I kind of like had to stand up. The guy next to me was like, "What's up?" I was like, "That was a really impressive pass." <laughs> he looked at me like I had three heads, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was really impressed with him, and I was a little. I think we talked about this earlier in the season. I was lukewarm on him as a prospect. I'm, I'm much higher now, and he kind of does remind you of Gilgis Alexander, uh, which is not how I had projected him when I first saw him earlier in the conference. Schedule season. All right, so let me move on uh, to to my prospect. And keep what, yeah. One last thing Go I was ahead. going to throw in real quick on NAW, too. They've been doing kind of a cool thing where they've been posting them up this year, not just to, like, score, but as, like, a passer. So, like, they'll right, throw right. it to him in the pinch post or at the nail, and they'll run cutters, like, scissor cuts or split action off of him. And, and like, yeah, like, that's another tool. I don't think that's going to be a big part of uh, his game going forward. But having the ability that that's something he's already done at age 19 or 20 or whatever that you could maybe use eventually is, like, kind of nice. You're thinking of a second unit offense. Well, what's one way we can generate activity and motion to the hoop? Well, maybe NAW as a, as a guy that can facilitate from the elbow or from the mid post or from wherever. Like, that might be a thing that he could also have in, in, in the pros, too. Well, we watched the team win the national championship last year using a, a player not similar to NAW, but Jalen Brunson posted up all the time for Villanova mm-hmm. last year, and I think it really gave them an edge in terms of matchups uh, on their way to a national championship. So it's an inter- interesting thing to watch. Check out NAW if you haven't seen him uh, yet this year in the NCAA tournament. All right, Brandon Clark uh, from Gonzaga is is my prospect to watch. He's He's my favorite prospect in a position that I think the Hornets need to address the most uh, this summer. I think they should do it through the draft. Uh, Clark's 6'9". He's got really good length. He's got incredible athleticism uh, for his size. He He's one of those jackknife kind of players. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to compare him to Michael Kidd Gilchrist per se, but I think it – he impacts the game in a lot of similar ways that MKG did at Kentucky and, and at times has an NBA. Um, Clark's a, you know, he's a top 25 guy 
in block percent or in block rate uh, in the country. He, he's a pretty good steals guy for his position. Um, he can switch on to, I would say, at least three positions, maybe four. Um, I think combine will be really big for him. Pretty decent free throw shooter. Um, very, very high effective field goal percentage, fourth in the country uh, at 70%. He, he just plays above the rim, man. This guy lives at the rim. Um, just like Brian was talking about how Virginia Tech, will, Virginia Tech will use Alexander Walker a lot, Gonzaga will post Clark in all kinds of different areas, and he will face up in his first step at 6'9". It's pretty incredible. When he gets, when he gets ahead of steam going towards the rim, he's going to dunk it. Um, so I just really like him as a defensive kind of stalwart and, and really offensively. I think he does enough things good right now. A very high percentage, play above the rim kind of player does enough good things to make up for the fact that he's not a three-point shooter at all. He's only taken 14 threes all season and made four of them. So that's obviously going to be a point of contention when you look at a, a power forward prospect in the NBA, him not being able to shoot that outside shot. But, you know, if you watch his form, there's nothing there to suggest that, you know, it's not Michael Kidd Gilchrist, okay? You're mm-hmm. watching a guy who looks – mechanically like he's a little robotish but his elbow gets in a decent spot um you know he shoots it on the way out i think it's just more of a a comfort thing for him he needs to get more used to taking that shot so we'll we'll see where that comes but i I just think clark is like he's a tailor-made fit for what the hornets need right now um and he should be able to play right away in the nba The, the probably the biggest negative with him though is his age he'll be he'll be 23 years old um you know when he starts the nba which Look, like it, I have, I have grown a little less uh, worried about age. You know, I, I think it's five, six years ago when I first started getting into all this draft prospect stuff. It used to be one of the first things I look at. It's not the first thing I look at anymore, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think Brandon Clark is worth a lottery pick, um, even a mid lottery pick, if the Hornets were to make it there. Uh, I, I just love his athleticism. I love his versatility, um, and the dude. Started his career at San Jose State, probably one of the worst 10 programs in the nation in college basketball. Transferring to Gonzaga has truly given him an opportunity to show what he can do and show what kind of prospect he is. So he really is also a feel-good story. So yeah, keep in, yeah go ahead. Yeah, fourth-year juniors, like Spencer said, he is definitely older. And that's really the one knock on him. If this guy were 19, he'd be the number two pick in the draft, period. Like there, there'd be – if he were 19 putting up this level of production – he would go, but he would be the clear-cut number two pick behind Zion. And I bet if you if you poke around and look at some some big boards online, like you might see this guy as like a like some people might have him still as the top five pick, and some people I might even you might we probably would be surprised to see him as a number as the second or third overall prospect that they have on their big board. He's again he's older, he doesn't have shooting range, but he basically does everything else well. Um, Three hundred twenty-three field goal attempts this season, and. 206 of those were at the rims. Like Spencer said, the guy lives at the rim. He attacks gaps and channels. He can go up and get a lob. He shot 81% at the rim this season, which is a monster number. And he shot 52% from two-point attempts that were outside of the rim. So, like, that plus the the free throw shooting percentage, which is about a little over 69%. It's like, you know, maybe he squint hard enough and he, he did the right things. Like, maybe he figures out a three at some point in time. But the block numbers are massive, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, a ten and a half percent block rate is just a huge, huge number. Um, well, and how physical he is defensively, and totally. how much he, you know, he's a physical defender, and he goes after shots at the rim consistently, and he doesn't. He he plays without fouling. I mean, that that's something I always look for in a, in a physical defender that can switch across multiple positions and also block shots and, and, and be somewhat of a steals guy. Well, can they do all that without fouling? And he does that. I mean, yeah. 3.2 fouls per 40 minutes, that's really good for, for a guy that's the best defender on his team. Big big rebound rate, uh, 19% defensive rebound rate, although that was sort of boosted by him playing against uh, in the WCCC. Um, one last thing I'll add on Clark like this guy statistically, if you want to look at his like closest comparison this year, it's Zion. Like he, in terms of forty nine dunks this mm. season, but in terms of dunks, rim production, that that like eighty percent field goal number at the rim, Zion's right around there too. In terms of blocks and steals, like in terms of his, his stocks, the the steals plus blocks, like basically in that category with Zion, if you're looking at post efficiency 
in defensive impact, like he and Zion are sort of in this, uh, this like tier to just themselves. It just so happens that like, you know, he's four years older than Zion, you know? So that's sort of a, a, it's notable, but anyways, I'm a huge fan of Clark. If the Hornets somehow got him at 11, they're not going to, because he's not going to fall that far. I don't think, but like, it'd be a great pick. Great pick. Yeah. That's that's a good point on, on Zion. Um, having some similarities there. Boy, would that be a fun matchup. I don't know. Are they on the same side of the bracket or would they have to meet in the national championship? I'd have to double yeah, check. Yeah, I'm not sure. But if we get that matchup, man, that'll be those, – those really are. Those are probably the two most nuclear athletes, certainly Zion. But Clark Clark is in the – kind of yeah. I think they're both so, on the left side of the bracket, right? Okay, so final four. Yes, okay. they are. Yeah, Duke is the one seed in the East. Gonzaga is the one seed in the West. And, yes, they would meet in the final four, basically, if, if it came to it, which, like – you know, Gonzaga gonna have to, you know, we'll have to get past maybe Florida State before that. So sure. no, uh, no easy path for either team because Duke has Michigan State likely waiting in the wings for them too. Sure, um, Gonzaga seven thirty on, I think it's Thursday. Yes, seven thirty Thursday night. They'll get the winner of one of these sixteen playing games. I don't know who that is. Um, also on True TV. So make sure you check out Brandon Clark. Um, all right, we're going to go with my second guy here. We're looking at another ACC guard. Uh, different type of prospect, though. Kobe White. Um, I think he's sort of a guy that really wasn't on a lot of NBA radars outside of like a late, late first-round pick before his freshman season at UNC. And the guy is just – he started with a bang with some monster games early in the season. You think about the Texas game back at the end of November where he scored 30 or 33 points and – Early on, splitting ball screens, and the guy is strong. He's a big, not like, not like huge, but he's a, he's a tall point guard, and he's strong, and he's slippery, and the guy can split a double team in a blink of an eye. He leads that secondary break seemingly as well as any other UNC guard you've seen under Roy Williams. So Ray Felton, Ty Lawson, Kendall Marshall. Like he's he's bigger than all. He's taller than all those guys. And he's as fast, you know what I mean, as, as guys like Felton and Lawson who were who were track stars when they got to UNC as well. Monster assist rate, um, close to 26%, at 26% in ACC play. Um, his transition secondary numbers, I don't have those right in front of me uh, this second, but they're, they're big. He also shot 45% on catch-and-shoot threes this year too. Like, if you're not sure that Kobe White can be an A1 creator of, of, of a primary ball handler – of an offense in the NBA, you know, a who cares, right? Like who, like the 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 Bucks use a seven foot Giannis. They use their power forward slash center to initiate offense, and guys like Bledsoe and Brogdon, who were open for a speedy recovery um, on his most recent injury, but like those guys play off them. I think White, with his ability to shoot from deep off the catch, and he's been good from NBA range. If you check out his shot chart over at the Stepien. Um, and he's got the ability that he can get hot shooting off the bounce too. Like, I think if you're if you're drafted in that ten to fifteen range, he's one of those guys that does have the ability to pop as a superstar. And in a league that's becoming faster and looking for guys that can shoot off the dribble from deep, like this is a dude that you might be able to find um, at the back end of the lottery or after that first third of the draft that has that that bit of upside. Um, defensively, I worry about him, and he has struggled some with really good like on-ball pressure defense. But now nah, I like uh, Kobe White. He's been amazing this season at UNC. Super fun to watch. Charismatic has a bit of that it factor too. Like I, I just like this guy a lot. Um, even though I think his pull-up numbers and his numbers at the rim haven't been so great, the guy is just a ridiculous shot maker, and that along with his mm-hmm. speed is um is special i mean he's hit some shots there's a shot he hit against louisville where he basically did the little like dirk Nowitzki fadeaway motion and he just splashed it from 20 feet and it was like oh my oh my god i don't know if there's anyone else in college hoops that can do that man so uh, he gets to the line and he's a playmaker uh, yeah i think kobe white would be a would be a a very nice pick for the hornets if he was in that 10 11 12 range I'm with you. I like White a lot. I mean, I think one of the big questions for him, um, you know, probably counter to those pretty good assist numbers, the fact that, you know, can he be a full-time NBA point guard? Can he make next-level reads um, when he can't depend on his athleticism, right, um, and, and his quickness? I mean, that 
these are the questions you're probably going to hear on him. I, I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but I think when you get a point guard that size, or at least a combo guard, who cares if he can be a point guard, right? Like right, you were saying, exactly. you know, like he's six five. I, I think he's he's a two way player. He's a great shooter. He's a guy at the end of the shot clock or late into a game where you can put the ball in his hand and say, just go get us a bucket, go get us a shot. Uh, guess who doesn't have that right now outside of Kimball Walker, the Charlotte Hornets? So mm-hmm. certainly need those kind of guys too. Like Wyatt a lot. Those splits. You know, I had, oh, man, I'll just never forget Friday night uh, what, being able to see Duke Carolina. But I had really good seats behind the baseline uh, and watching Kobe White split those two ball screens in what were, I don't know if they were consecutive possessions, BG, but they were very close to each other. Um, just so impressive to see it live when you consider the athletes Duke had to throw at him. He finished around Zion at the rim on one of them, too. Like, like took, 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 took contact from Zion and finished, like, with English off the glass. You got to find, like, I tweeted out a video of that play, and uh, a guy responded to me with, like, the above angle, the above the basket look, and it's, it is, it's glorious. Like, if you like basketball, this is b-ball porn, man, I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's awesome. So, you can catch Kobe White, North Carolina play um, against Iona. They're the number one, North UNC's the number one seed in the Midwest region. They play Iona. With the on TNT with a nine twenty tip off on Friday in Columbus. Cool. All right, well, let's get to uh, the last prospect here to keep an eye on. I'm going with one that's probably going to surprise some people, but I, I've watched him climb boards and I've liked him all season because I think he's more of a two way guy than people get him credit for. That's Tyler Hero, um, Hero, Hero. I think it's Hero um, from Kentucky, shooting guard. 6'5", um, hey, look, he's not going to wow you with his measurements. or his, I mean, I think he's a, a pretty good athlete. He's not an explosive athlete. Um, really good shooter, really smart player. And I just I love, I love the way this guy defends when you consider kind of his physical limitations. Uh, I, I, that, was, that was not a part of his game that I think was really uh, highlighted coming into Kentucky how much he'd help them defensively. I think he's been one of their better team defenders all season. And and I think it's helped his his draft stock. Um, I think it's, it's helped it improve. I mean, it's, look, his numbers are are crazy good. Um, you know, steal rate of just 2%, you know, block rate is, is really off the map. But it, it's, the, it's the way he stays in front of the basketball. It's the, how he's always in the right position. Um, this guy's a pretty good defensive rebounder at his position, uh, which I like too. And he's, let's see, on the season, 37.3% from behind the arc. That's on 153 attempts from three, which is a high number. Uh, But in conference play, that number jumped uh, even more, 32 of 76 from behind the arc. That number jumped all the way to 42%. So, you know, he reminds me a little bit of, uh, oh, gosh, why did I just have a, a, a mind blank here? Who who Atlanta um, drafted from Kevin Maryland. Herder, Herder. Kevin Herder. Kevin yep. Herder. He reminds yeah. me a, a little bit of Herder. Uh, I don't know why I just forgot that name. Um, uh, you know, I, I just – how Kentucky uses him is a lot how they use Knox, is a lot how they use Monk. They run him off those stagger screens along the baseline. Um, but I think Hero is just – he plays more in control than a guy like Malik Monk. And – like I said earlier, I, I think this summer, you know, it's decision time for the Hornets. They can't wait. They can't just not draft a, a shooting guard um, or really any position because they've got a young player in the pipeline. Uh, Miles Bridges might be an exception to that, but but the shooting guard position should not be. And I think that if Hero has a really, really good NCAA tournament and Kentucky makes a Final Four run or even a national championship run, I think you're going to see him to start to get converse, it put in the conversation to be a lottery pick. And, and I think he's a worthy pick. I mean, I think this is a guy who can defend. Uh, you, you can plug and play him defensively and your system. And he he's, can maybe get to the point where he's a pick and roll, uh, you know, a second pick and roll guard, but you can plug and play him as a catch and shoot guy right now. And I don't need to explain to anybody why that's so important in today's NBA. Um, and he's also not even 19 years old yet. So you're really getting him at a young age. Uh, I like Tyler hero to eventually be a lottery pick in this year's draft i think the horse should take a look at it. he's gotten a lot better got off to a, a shaky start against duke but he's really picked it up like you said he got hot in conference play 42 percent on deep 98 percent from the free throw line in conference play only missed one free throw 94 percent from the stripe of the season only missed five all year um he's a great shooter 
and from all three levels, including from the free throw line. But 68% at the rim, that's in, on, a, on a low number of attempts, that's including transition looks too. Still a good number. Um, and he shot 47% on two-point looks that were away from the rim, and only 23% of those were assisted on. So he's got the ability to like, you know, get his own shot, get to the get to the mid-range, get to his get to other our aspects of this game. Like there's a little bit of shot diversity. He's not just a catch and shoot three-point shooter, although like that is what he's gonna be billed as, and rightfully so. 55% effective shooting off the catch, 83% of his threes were assisted on. He's just an efficient player, doesn't turn the ball over much, that has the ability to pump, you know, maybe attack a closeout, settle into a pull-up, and you can just trust the guy because he makes free throws. He can be an okay defender, and, and, he, and he doesn't turn the ball over that much. Like I think he's a solid prospect, and I give him a lot of credit for hanging in after a shaky year start and really getting better as the season has gone along. I think he's a nice success story, honestly. We're looking at first-round uh, guys potentially going in the first round this year. Kentucky as a team has really turned a corner, and I like a couple guys on, on, on the Wildcats this year. But, yeah, I, I like I like Not Maybe not quite in the, the, the Hornets' range, but not too far behind it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I like this guy. I think he's going to be a solid pro. And Kentucky plays Thursday night at 710 on CBS. They are the two seed in Carolina's bracket, so they might match up in the uh, Elite Eight. And That'll I, be fun one, man. I That'll think I would favor game. Kentucky. I think I would favor Kentucky. <laughs> I'm cool. They're both really good. I like Kentucky a lot right now. Like I like Keldon Johnson, Hero, Hagens. They're big dudes, can really get up and get it. They've got some some size and some, some experience on the front court with Travis and Washington, who yeah. – yeah. I mean, hell, Washington's become a, a you know a late lottery pick now too. We'll, so we'll uh, talk about him before this is all said and done. Yeah, I I, I almost picked him. Yeah, yeah, man, he's come a long way this long season, especially, way. With, especially with his jump shot. Long way. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we should be back next week for episode ninety six, and I'm sure as we get closer to those summer months. Uh, and when the Hornets don't make the playoffs, we'll be hitting you guys with all the draft-related content. So maybe you'll hear less of me and more of Brian and Spencer, which might be a good thing for you guys if that's what you're, you're going for. Uh, but be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, that always gives us more exposure. For Brian, for Spencer, I am Richie, and we will see you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.